Good morning, church. How exciting is it? Easter Sunday morning, and one of the most amazing moments is when we get to declare, He is risen. And the early church would respond, He is risen indeed. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning the greatest hope possible for all of humanity. So I'm gonna ask us to open our hearts right now to God and we're gonna pray that God's spirit would move powerfully and supernaturally in people's lives today. We're gonna pray for those who have suffered loss over this COVID-19, those that are living with uh, a new reality in their life. And I'm just gonna pray that God is gonna move in every situation. I believe he's still in control of our planet, folks. And let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for this amazing day that we celebrate once a year, the day that makes the great declaration that man's greatest enemy, death itself, has been conquered by the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was resurrected from the dead. And because of that amazing reality, we can experience the living Christ within our hearts, transforming our lives, our families, our hopes, diminishing our fears, and Lord, helping empower our lives to face this uncertain future. We pray today that you administer comfort and grace in every loss, in every challenge, in every situation that people are faced with today. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share a little story that on February the 27th, a number of years ago, it was actually 1991, Ruth Dilo was at her home in Kansas when the phone rang, and it was bad news. The Pentagon was phoning to tell her that her son, first class Clayton Carpenter, he was a private, had been killed in the action in the Persian Gulf War. And she said at the time it was such a sickening reality to learn that her son would never come home again. And so for three days, Ruth grieved deeply the loss of her son. And then on that third day, the phone rang and she answered it and she could not believe her ears. It was her son's voice saying, Mom, I'm alive. And you could just imagine that mother's heart. She said, at first, I could not even believe it was his voice. But then she said, I began jumping and screaming, tears of joy filling my heart. You have no idea how much joy flooded my soul at that moment. Can you imagine that kind of a joy? The thrill of having gone from the depths of despair to an overwhelming elation from grief to loss, from mourning and sorrow to great joy and celebration. And folks, that's exactly the mood that we need to understand the context of that first Easter Sunday morning. The early followers of Jesus had witnessed his betrayal. They saw him arrested. They saw a hastily assembled verdict that was a sham to justice. They watched as Jesus was crucified, and during the next two days they grieved and struggled, many of them with shame, for not standing with him in that last hour. Their dreams and hopes were seemingly crushed with the death of Jesus. But just like Ruth, the moment came when they heard that incredible, amazing, unbelievable news. Women were rushing towards the upper room, screaming, he's alive, his body's not there, we've seen angels. And folks, that's the greatest news, the greatest hope for all of humanity. Jesus is alive. That's the heart of Christianity. 
And then the Bible teaches us for 40 days afterwards, Jesus continued to appear to them until they finally watched him ascend into heaven. It's a message of hope. It's a message that transcends our despair. It's a message that our society desperately needs. It's a message that the first disciples preached. It was the message that Peter preached to a crowd of people gathered in the city of Jerusalem only 50 days after the death of Jesus. It was during the feast of Passover, the Jewish feast, when the Holy Spirit, true to his nature, came and imparted power to the disciples to become dynamic witnesses regarding the person and work of Jesus Christ. And after explaining the miracle of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit where they began to speak in a language they had never learned and all of them were speaking in this language and people began to understand it from around the Mediterranean world, they could hear them glorifying God and giving high praises. Peter begins to explain what today is the message that we're gonna hear. At the very heart of the message of Jesus is the resurrection, and that's what G. Campbell Morgan relates to us. Today we're gonna celebrate the most exciting, the most significant, the most dynamic moment in human history. We are celebrating, actually, the defeat of death itself. And we are gonna experience that great reality someday, uh, and actually we end up celebrating and experiencing a measure of it even right now as we receive Christ and allow his rule and reign to transform our lives. Jesus is alive, and so we are as well from the power and authority and dominion of sin over our lives. But Jesus is not only in a place of authority right now interceding for us, but what's even more exciting is he lives within our lives. And most of the early persecution of the church arose over the preaching of the message of the resurrection. Listen to what uh, we read in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 24 and verse uh, 21. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. To those Paul preached to in Athens, they struggle with this powerful life-changing truth. It says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. The Apostle Paul points out how critical our faith is on the resurrection. It's the essence of biblical Christianity. And probably one of the great chapters of the entire Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul makes an argument for the resurrection. In chapter 15, beginning in verse 13, he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. What's he saying? The resurrection is the cornerstone, the bedrock upon which Christianity hangs or falls. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile or vain or empty, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. That's a euphemism for dying as a believer. And then he goes on to say, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those 
who have fallen asleep or have died. And so today what we're gonna do is travel back in time and hopefully hear afresh that first message that God inspired Peter to preach on the day of Pentecost. And I want us to turn to Acts chapter two, and Peter now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is gonna state four life-changing truths that when we embrace those truths, begin to transform our lives. And the first one is simply that this was all planned by God. Isn't that an amazing thought, that this does not just you know, happen and God caught him off guard that you know, there were gonna be cruel people that were gonna arrest the son and he was gonna be killed. No, this was all orchestrated. God was even using the evil things of this world to accomplish his divine purpose. Jesus' amazing life and then his awful death and then this incredible miracle called the resurrection was not just some incidental occurrence. The whole thing from the birth of Christ to the death and resurrection of Jesus was planned in the very foundation of the world. It was in the heart of a loving God toward us. And this is how Peter mentions it to us in chapter two and verse 22. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And then he says it in verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter begins by pointing out the unique nature of Jesus Christ. He talks about Jesus' miracles and his signs and wonders that were to establish in the minds and hearts of the people that he truly was the Messiah, the promised anointed one that was to come and save the people from their sins. Peter is speaking to an audience well aware of all of these facts. As a matter of fact, not one person in that audience was disputing the miraculous nature of Jesus' ministry. For earlier, the week of Jesus' death, he had raised Lazarus from the dead, and people could see that a man who had been dead for four days was walking around. As a matter of fact, John Meyer points out in a New York Times article in the 1980s, he said, many treatments of Jesus get bogged down in a discussion of the possibility of miracles. Properly speaking, that is a philosophical rather than a historical or even a theological problem. All that needed to be noted in that ancient Christian, Jewish, and pagan sources, they all agree Jesus did extraordinary things not easily explained by human means. While Jesus' disciples pointed to the Spirit of God as the source of his power, Jewish, many of the Jewish people, not all of them, and pagan adversaries spoke of demonic or magical forces. It never occurred to any to claim that nothing had happened. In other words, the, even the early opponents of Christianity never doubted the fact that Jesus did the incredible, the supernatural miracles and signs. Now Peter is pointing to the greatest miracle of, God, of all, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And as Peter said, it was part of God's amazing plan. Notice the expression, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Even though they were personally responsible for committing this great injustice by handing Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified, Peter points out that God even incorporates man's sinful purpose 
to fulfill his ultimate purposes. The Old Testament scriptures foretold the Messiah's birth. They told of his miracles. They, they talked about his betrayal by a close acquaintance. They even spoke of the disciples abandoning him and thus giving him over to Gentiles. They spoke of his crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection. So none of these things occurred by accident. And we read of this over and over again in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus was a willing participant in the entire plan of salvation. This was not something Jesus had no control over. As a matter of fact, it was an act that he willingly chose. In the book of Hebrews, it says, here I am, I come to do your will, O Father, O God. He did, he did so as an expression of his amazing love toward us. He gave himself freely for us. Well, there's a story told that during World War I, there was a young French soldier who was seriously wounded. His arm was so badly smashed that it had to be amputated. And the surgeon was grieving over the taking of this young man's arm, and he recognized he would now go through life with this handicap. And so he waited beside his bedside to tell him the bad news once he recovered from his uh, unconsciousness. And when his eyes finally opened, the surgeon said to him, I'm so sorry to tell you that you have lost your arm. Sir, the young man said, I did not lose it, I gave it. In the same way, Jesus was not helplessly caught up in a mesh of circumstances which he could not break free. Even in the garden, he said, could not even legions of angels set me free from this? But apart from any divine power he might call on, it was quite clear that even to the end, he could have turned back and saved his own life. But if he had done that, he could not save you and me. He gave himself willingly. And so the cross was not thrust upon him. He accepted it for us. But let me move on to the second life-changing truth about the resurrection. It was promised by God. What God says, God's able to do. You know, many times you and I make promises, and maybe we have every intention of fulfilling it, but sometimes things come in the way, and then all of a sudden we're incapable of fulfilling what we say. And the reason being is we cannot control events and, and around us. But God knows all of the events of our world and is capable of ex uh, orchestrating what he wants to accomplish, including working within the parameters of rebellious and sinful men. He can take our willful refusal to do his will and yet fulfill his designs. God even used the hardness of Pharaoh's hearts to accomplish his purpose in setting the Israelites free from Egypt. Peter shows that Jesus' resurrection was actually promised in Scripture. It was prophesied, and here Peter is now quoting Psalm 16, one of my favorite psalms. It says here in verse 25 of Acts chapter 2, And David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. And then he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. 
Now, I find that a powerful statement because some of us have had the privilege of going to Israel, and one of the things we do when we go to Jerusalem is we go to the tomb of David. So we can see that after all of these years, David's tomb is still there. But he was a prophet, it said, and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not to be abandoned to the realm of dead, nor his body see decay. So David was not writing about himself because as Peter could point out, David's tomb was still among them. Rather, David was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sharing this amazing promise of Christ, the Messiah's resurrection. The eventual response of the people in Jerusalem suggested that they believed what Peter was saying. Not only was David's decaying body still in his tomb, but Jesus' body was missing. It was a known fact. And if there were any doubts, Peter and the disciples could have brought them to the empty tomb and said, hey, look, the Roman seal and his body is gone. Where is that body? Or even the fact that the grave clothes were still lying intact in the tomb. And then I love a number of things that are happening that will really give us a little perspective of why Peter's sermon so persuaded his hearers that Pentecost Sunday. One of the things that happened when Jesus was being crucified were a number of miracles began to transpire. One of them was the fact that the sun was darkened, it was darkened during that afternoon when Jesus was being crucified. And there was an earthquake, it says. And then Matthew records something that I think a lot of us don't recognize. It seems like it's almost obscure, but, he's, but it's, uh, it, it does give us an insight into the story. In Matthew 27, verse 50, it says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. This is talking of his crucifixion. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in top, two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rock split. Now, if you know anything about the temple, that curtain was a massive piece. It was not something two human beings could tear apart. And it was huge, and so it was torn from the top right to the bottom, speaking of God's access to God that they had never had before. And then it says, and the earth shook and the rock split, and the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, and they went into the holy city, Jerusalem, and they appeared to many people. Now, I don't know about you, but this is probably one of the most exciting moments. Can you imagine after Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't the only one that was rising from the dead. At that point, many people who had died and were buried in the city of Jerusalem rose with him, and the Bible says they began to appear to people in Jerusalem. Now, how many know that might be a little exciting to have dead relatives show up in your house? That might prove to you that something supernatural was happening. And so not everyone that Peter was speaking to that morning had seen these dead relatives, but some of them had. And so there was now a deep awareness that this was an abnormal situation. Something supernatural and powerful was beginning to happen. And then we move to the third life-changing truth about the resurrection. It was accomplished through the power of God. This is something that only God can do. 
It was a miracle of an incredible magnitude to be brought back to life could only be accomplished by God's power. The apostle writing to the Romans relates that this is a compelling sign that Jesus is the Messiah. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture regarding his son as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. How was that declaration manifested? by his resurrection from the dead. In other words, Jesus gave us the ultimate sign of his authenticity. When the Jewish people asked for what would be the sign that he was truly the Messiah, he said that in three days he would rise from the dead. And folks, the resurrection is the authenticity that Jesus Christ is actually God in the flesh being resurrected from the dead. I love what Peter states that it was impossible for death to hold Jesus. The power of his sinless life could not keep him in that tomb. In verse 24 it says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now this language in this verse is extremely interesting. It literally speaks of death and childbirth in one breath. Howard Marshall, a New Testament scholar, says we have a remarkable mixed metaphor in which death is regarded as being in labor and unable to hold back its child, the Messiah. And if we ask why death could not hold back Jesus, Peter's reply would be that Jesus was the Messiah and could not be held by death. One of the most compelling arguments for a resurrected Jesus and the demonstration of God's power is seen in changed lives. Now, when we read the story, and just imagine with me the disciples who are shattered by his crucifixion. The Bible says they're hiding in an upper room for fear that they're next. And then all of a sudden, within weeks, they're boldly proclaiming that Jesus is alive and they become fearless in uh, their declaration, even to the point of willing to lose their lives. What happened inside of their hearts? that Jesus was alive, had appeared to them, and now on the day of Pentecost, they are now filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Folks, to have God come and live inside of you, that is a very powerful experience, and that's exactly what happened to these early followers of Jesus. And that same power that came inside of their lives 2,000 years ago is still coming inside of people's lives today. That's the exciting good news. It's not just them, it's also for us. As Peter says, this is uh, for you and for your children. Now, he says here in chapter, uh, chapter two, verse 33, this, this final life-changing truth is simply that God's presence, his Holy Spirit begins to live in our lives. And if I go back and think of one other life that was changed, if when you study the life of the Apostle Paul and see who he was before he was a Christian, the great persecutor of the church, and to see what happened when he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, it totally changed his life. Now, we come to this amazing truth of God's presence, his spirit within us. 
Not only is the resurrection a fact, but the release of the Holy Spirit into our world as an indwelling presence is proof that Christ is alive from the dead. He says here in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The Holy Spirit would not have come to indwell people apart from the Son becoming alive, ascending into heaven, and then releasing the Spirit to be poured out on humanity. Therefore, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is one of the most powerful proofs of Christ's resurrection. And the Holy Spirit is still at work today, convincing, convicting people of their need for Christ. Now, I want to just share a story that I think is really moving. Transworld Radio tells of a young Cuban. His name was McGill. He had grown up in a large family. He had received little attention from his parents. His early life was marked by a lot of hatred and fighting. At 14, he went to Havana to go to school, but he became involved in, in the illicit drugs and the drug trade. He began planting and cultivating marijuana and cocaine. And soon he had several hectares of cocoa plants with a team of about 40 workers. On one occasion, McGill, McGill was called on to examine a plot some distance away, and he forgot to take along some reading material for the trip. And so the lady of the plantation gave him a book that she had, and it was the New Testament. And so he began reading the New Testament, and he began reading about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he was so caught up in the story that he actually began uh, a Bible reading group among his employees. But eventually he suffered a terrible accident and being in pain that evening, he turned on the radio to distract his thoughts and turned into a gospel broadcast. And there he heard the speaker talked about how terrible it is to have an empty life full of guilt and sin. And at the very end, McGill made a decision to give his life to Christ. After recovering from his accident, he cut down his plants, he burned his laboratory, he got rid of everything related to the drug trafficking he was involved in, and when his workers returned from vacation, he shared his experience with them and explained what they were lacking. And every last one of those 40 workers gave their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then he says, from our little band of cocaine farmers, we have now 12 pastors. He said, I have planted 10 churches and for the last six years have pastored in a little town in the interior. And that lady that gave me the New Testament is a leader of another group in another area. And now we are ministering all over our country. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is able to raise us up from the dead. And it's a different kind of death. See, the Bible talks about sin as being a death. It means that we're separated from God. And when we experience Christ coming into our lives, the Spirit of God coming into our lives, it becomes so life-changing. It resurrects us and gives us a new meaning and purpose in life. He's able to change us into the people God intends for us to become. So what should our response be? The same as it was for those people who were living in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. In Acts chapter 2, 36, Peter says, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, we could stop there 
and say, well, yeah, I can see, Pastor, why these people would need to repent. I mean, they were involved in helping crucify Jesus. But sometimes we disconnect and we see that as a historical event and it happened long ago and somehow we're not even affected by what happened there. But the reality is the reason why Jesus came was to die for our sin. And because you and I sin, we are also part of the reason for his death. And so we are as much guilty of killing Christ as these people were. You see, I think it's easy to blame other people for being responsible for it when reality is we're all responsible for it because we've all sinned and we need Christ's forgiveness. Then Peter goes on to say, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. In other words, there was a deep awareness. Yes, I'm in the wrong. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the next verse I love. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. In other words, this transcends that moment. It moves into our descendants. It keeps moving down into time. It's a living message, folks. Easter is a living message. It's not just a declaration of a historical event. It's a declaration of a living message that is still raising people from the dead today from their transgressions and sins. And then he goes on to say, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Let me pause and ask the question, is not our generation becoming more and more morally corrupted? Are we not in need today of a savior like never before? And it says there, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Well, how many? There was 120 in the upper room. There were 500 people in Galilee. And now all of a sudden, thousands were coming. But what many of us don't realize was this is the birthday of the church. This was the beginning of the church. God supernaturally, by the outpouring of his spirit, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, now created a new entity called the church where we neither are Jews nor Gentiles. We are all one in Christ. We're all united with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So they repented, which means they came into an agreement with God's understanding of their condition and they turned to him. They were baptized as an outward expression of the inward change. They received God's indwelling presence and became part of God's church family, the community of faith. And that's what God is calling each of us to do. We need to turn from our sins. We need to turn our hearts to Christ and his presence. And then his empowering, enabling, delivering presence will come into our lives. So I'm gonna have you consider with me this morning how has Easter changed your life? And maybe for some of you it has never done that. But you know this morning, if you and I take to heart this message of God's amazing salvation, his amazing love, his amazing grace, you and I can open our hearts and we can pray this prayer and call on the name of the Lord and ask God to forgive us and bring about such an amazing transformation in our lives. And I'm gonna invite you to pray with me because the Bible says, they that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. 
saved from its authority, saved from its power, saved so one day you and I will be saved from its very presence because we'll be with God. You know, we have a hope. This life doesn't end when we think it does. We can actually have eternal life. We can actually live with God forever. You know, when people talk about somebody dying and they're saying, well, they're gonna be with God in heaven, you have to base that on some reality. And here's the reality that we're basing it on. It's a historical fact. Jesus conquered death. And you and I can access that life by accepting him as our Lord and as our Savior. Let's pray. And so, Father, I come to you today. I thank you that you have made a way for myself, a sinner, to receive forgiveness. I believe today that your death and resurrection has such power. It not only conquers death, it conquers the sin and the shame and the brokenness in my life. It'll set me free from my past. It'll give me a new beginning. It'll give me a new hope. It'll give new meaning to my life. Lord, it will set me on a direction I've never been on before. I will come into a relationship with you maybe I've never known before. I may have intellectually believed in you, but today I want to know you personally. Today I want spiritual authenticity to happen in my life. And so Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me of all my sins. I ask you to come into my life and transform it and help me to fulfill your purposes for my life. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. And even now I receive you as my Lord and my Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I, I want us to help you. And that's why there's the church. That's why people were added to a community of faith. So we could grow in this relationship with God. We could grow in our understanding. And we have materials for you. And if, you're, if you've said yes to Jesus today, I want to just encourage you to click the yes button to Jesus or to text us or to contact our church family. You can email us. Look, at there's an address there on our website. And let us know you've made this decision. And I'll tell you why that's important, because immediately we will have someone send materials to you that will help you in this Christian journey. We'll have people contact you and say, hey, we'd like to pray with you. What can we do to help you? Let us know. No matter where you are, it doesn't matter if you're not even in Red Deer. You could be listening in from another part of the world. We're happy to send this material to you to help you in your journey of faith. May you have an amazing Easter this year. And especially for those of you who have made a new beginning, may this be the most exciting new year of your life. Amen. God bless you.